Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time here, thank you so much for coming on out. My name is John. I am the lead pastor around here. Hey, why not, let's give it up for Christian Meredith today for, for stepping in. Not easy to sing all those songs by himself. Uh, Christina's up in Hilton Head, I think she is. And Adam is, of course, at his favorite place, hanging out with princesses up in Disney. Um, listen, I mean, like, finally he's got a kid, so he looks normal hanging out with all... <laughs> And I use the word normal, you know, charitably with him. But Meredith did a great job. In fact, I may have her come up here more frequently because I'd rather look at her than him. But we are, don't tell him I said that, but I know he's probably watching. Um, We are in the midst of this series that we are calling Breaking Free. And effectively, what we're talking about is this idea where Jesus said that as humans, we got a problem. In fact, we had a heart problem, as he would sort of describe it. That at the root of a lot of our issues is our heart. That there's just this gunk that's in there that has sort of made its way in there. It's gotten all clogged up in there when you're like your cholesterol gets too high. That's sort of how he describes the issues that we have in our life. And this gunk that lives in there, these issues that are gets lodged in there, are preventing us from becoming the people that God wants us to be. And for that matter, stopping us or or hindering us from becoming the people that we want to be. And so every week, we're kind of looking at what I'll call four common heart problems. And we're trying to find out, based on Scripture, how we can break free from these issues. So today, as we're kind of coming towards the end of this series, I want to talk to you about a heart problem that none of you have. No one in this room has this issue today. I know that for a fact. No one watching online, no one listening in the future on podcasts. Nobody has this issue. And the reason I say that none of you have this issue is because no one has a problem admitting that they struggle with guilt, right? Talked about this week one, right? Because we've all hurt people, okay? We've all offended people. And so we've all kind of felt that guilt in our lives. And if that's you, you can go back to week one to figure out how to kind of break free from that. So admitting that we have guilt, not a problem. We all have that. Fine. Um, similarly, similarly, no one has an issue sort of admitting that they've got anger, okay? And, and last week, the amount of people who, who kind of grabbed me afterwards and said, hey, just so you know, traffic really drives me crazy as well. I mean, that made me feel good. I mean, it made me realize that, you know, maybe the world's not out to get me. Maybe it's out to get all of us, okay? So no issues admitting we've got a problem with anger. Not a problem admitting that we've got an issue with guilt. But I'll just say this. Never in my, you know, however many years now I've been in ministry, um, never in my sort of history of being a human being at this point, has someone kind of come up to me and said, hey, John, you know what my problem is? I mean, honestly, you know, just, you know what I really struggle with? Jealousy. Just, I am just green with envy. It's a real problem in my life. We don't admit this, but let's be honest. At some point and at some level, if you're a human being, and most of you are, as i kind of been saying lately, like we have felt jealousy in our lives, but we don't admit it because jealousy feels mm, petty, right? Like it feels immature to be jealous. It's, it's almost like embarrassing because Kids are jealous, right? Five-year-olds, they're like, man, his truck's bigger than my truck. She got five balloons. I only got four balloons, right? Like kids, kids get jealous. Teenagers, adults, we don't, you know, we don't, we don't get jealous. So I know 
if I were to just ask you a question, if I were to say, well, does anyone make you jealous? Inevitably, we would all say, no, <laughs> I'm not jealous of anybody. It's not a problem in my life. I, I, you know, I'm a, a well-balanced individual, very comfortable in who I am and, and the things that I have. And so, no, I don't, I don't, no, it's not, a, I'm not a jealous person. Sure, sure, understood. Message received. So here's the thing. Jealousy is sneaky. Jealousy will often masquerade as other things in our lives. That's sort of what it does. So I'm going to ask you a different question. I'm going to sort of approach this from a different angle to see if I can unmask your jealousy for you. So here's the question. Who do you secretly resent? Is there a person that you just, I mean, you haven't told anybody else this, but you just secretly resent that person. Or maybe it's a group of people. Or maybe it's a category of people. And you just seem to have a, like a, like a problem with them. I don't, know, I don't know who this group is or who this person is. Maybe it's athletes. You know, maybe it's uh, professionals. Maybe it's rich people. Maybe it's married people. But th like, there is someone who has excelled in an area of life that you deem to be important and you resent them for it. Like there are people that like we just, I don't know, we just don't like them because they're ahead of you in something. And we may cop an attitude with them. We, you know, we may avoid them. I mean, all because they've pulled ahead in a race that they're not even running. They had no idea that this sort of competition is existing in their world and you're like, and, and we don't know why. We don't, we don't know why, but like we just look at them and for some reason we go, ah, I just don't like them. Bob, mm. I still like Bob. But dig deeper, you'll find that chances are mm, you might be jealous. And the closer we get to them, the worse we feel about ourselves. And so what do we do? Almost by instinct, we, we try to put some space between ourselves and that person or that group of people. And, and to put that space between us and them Jealousy tends to make us say some really strange things. For example, you ever caught yourself saying, well, you know, she's just too pretty. She's just too pretty. Huh? Yeah, she's just too pretty. Totally plastic, totally fake. I can't be around people like that. I'm not just totally. Oh, I mean, I thought she was kind of nice. Really? Or maybe, maybe, maybe you've sort of said, well, dude's just so full of himself. Oh my gosh, I cannot be around that guy. Oh, he is so full. Really? I don't know. He just seemed, he seemed pretty genuine to me. Come on, stop. Guy's got like muscles on top of muscles. No, totally, totally full of himself. I can, I mean, if you want to hang out with him, that's fine. I'm not interested in hanging out with people that are just totally full of them. This might not always be the case, but chances are, if you find yourself saying something like, it's just something about those people, I just don't like them, chances are you're jealous because they are a reflection of something you wish you were or had. Because you're not and you don't, you treat them like they're the problem. Now, sometimes, sometimes our jealousy comes out in a different way. Ever caught yourself sort of thinking or saying, it's not fair. It's 
not fair. It's not fair that I work just as hard as they do, but they fill in the blank. It's not fair that we saved and we sacrificed, but they just. It's not fair that our kid studied just as hard, but their kid fill in the blank. This word fair is thrown around a lot these days. I don't know if you've, you've seen it, but it's everywhere. And as Americans, at least in my opinion, I think part of the reason we are so quick to throw out the it's not fair card is I think we're actually being programmed to think that way. And I also think, on the other hand, there are people exploiting the fact that they know we think this way. And it's pulling apart this world, it's pulling apart this country, and it's pulling apart some of your relationships, and it's injecting into that space resentment. That's a problem. But I'll tell you something you might not know. You don't want fair. You think you do, you don't. Because to be fair, by definition, fairness would have to extend into every aspect of our lives. That's the only way to be fair about something. So everything is fair. Which means that for fairness to exist in this world, there would have to be what I'll call spiritual fairness. Right? Let me tell you something that wasn't fair. Jesus dying on the cross. In no way, shape, or form was it fair for the worst thing in the world to happen to the best person in the world. That's not fair. You know what else wasn't fair? Us being forgiven of our sins. Because to be fair, we'd have to get what we deserve. And trust me when I say this, you definitely don't want what you deserve. So thank God that when it came to our salvation, God decided to not be fair. Furthermore, to be fair, we'd have to have what I'll call, you know, material fairness, for lack of a better term here. Everyone's got to have the same thing. Everyone's got to have the same stuff. Everyone's got to have the same standard of living. Now, that sounds like a great idea. That sounds utopic in nature. But when you look at the standard of living across the globe, to be fair, Americans, both the 1% and the 99 would have to take a gigantic step backwards. So here's the truth about human nature. We like to think that we want fair, but in reality, we just want more. We'll couch our feelings of, in, in fairness, but the truth is we're jealous. And here's the thing about jealousy. More is never enough. Because it's not about the stuff, it's about your heart. It's a heart problem. Because even if you were to get you know, into their school, or you got their car, or you got their house, your eyes would immediately be searching for that next big fish. Well, I got that this guy's got, but now I gotta go here. Okay, now I gotta go here. Okay, well now I need what they have. And on and on and on we go. That's how this works. James, who is the brother of Jesus, said something very interesting. He goes, do you know where your fights and your arguments come from? You're really 
Think about that. I mean, like, like in other words, do you know where all this resentment and tension that we sort of feel towards other people, do you know where that comes from? He says, they come from the selfish desires that war within you. It's your heart. You get a war going on in your heart, James would say. And let me tell you what that war is about. You want what you don't have. So you scheme and you kill to get it. Now, to a degree, this is hyperbole here. He is sort of exaggerating. I don't think any of you are killing people. I mean, maybe you are. I don't really know you that well. You could be on Dateline soon. Wouldn't shock me for some of you, actually. Uh, but like, but, but think, about, think about how you speak of those who spark your jealousy. Could it not be said that you've tried to assassinate their character? Guy's so full of himself. She's totally plastic. Maybe, maybe you even schemed to sort of take them down a notch to even out the old playing field. James puts it bluntly. He says, you're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and you wage war to take it from them. That's the big word, them. What James is trying to show us here is that ultimately we think that they are the problem. Like I, I, look at, I look at the way that you look, what you have, look at your marriage, I look at your kids, I look at the fact that you have kids. The way that you make me feel lets me know that you are the problem. And so to mitigate these feelings that we have, we sort of distance ourselves from the problem. Or we try to make the problem feel like trash about themselves. But here's our dilemma. And here's how we know that they are not our problem. Because they can't solve your problem. There's nothing that they, that person, that group, that category of individuals, there's nothing that they can do to solve your problem. Actually, there is one thing. And the fact that they can do this one thing and it makes you feel better just magnifies the fact that they are not your problem. See, the one thing that makes a jealous person feel better is when others fail. A good old-fashioned reversal of fortune. Ooh, delicious. We love those, right? Eat it up with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Okay? We love to watch other people. Oh, he wrecked his Ferrari? Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so, oh. Did you see Susie in her yoga pants? I don't think quarantine was too kind to her. Okay? You know, you've said it and I've heard you. Oh, your kid can't stay in private school? What a shame. Oh, I feel such sister. And after we say these things, or perhaps even we just sort of think these things, we go, gross. Where did that come from? You got Jesus in the back of the room going, I know. Your heart. You had a heart problem. As my brother would say, you got a war going on inside of you. You want what they have, but you don't have it. See, here's the truth, and this is what we need to get our minds around today. The people who spark your jealousy, they're not your problem. Your problem, buckle up, is with God. Now, that might shock you. This might be hard to believe. This, you go, no, no, no. That cannot, that, 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 that cannot be true. 
But this is the truth. Because deep down inside of you, and you might not articulate it like this, but you believe that God owes you. You do? He owes you, you know, their kind of body. God owes you their kind of marriage. God owes you their kind of wealth. Now, whatever everybody else got that I don't have, God owes me. All their opportunities, all their advantages, God owes me. See, jealousy makes us think that that they are our problem. But until we recognize that they are not our problem, we will never resolve our problem. And let's get real here for a second, because we're all friends. None of this leaves the room. You think God ripped you off. You do. You think God ripped you off. Because God could have. God could have given you a a different family. Could have. God could have placed you into a different city. God could have made your kids smarter. God could have given you better genes so that you're taller or thinner or faster or stronger. We think our problem is with that person who has what we don't have, but God could have fixed that. He could have given us everything they have and more. But he didn't. And when we start to see this truth, all of a sudden you begin to realize, oh my gosh, all these years, all these years, I I thought they were my problem. I've treated them like they are my problem. I separated myself from those people. I wrote off huge categories of people because I thought they were my problem and they are not my problem. My problem's not with them. My problem's with him. So the big question perhaps on your mind is why didn't God give you what you wanted? That's a specie meatball. This is quite frankly almost unanswerable. We will never really know why God does what God does, but because you're here, I'll give you two answers. You're not going to like either of them. That's just the nature of this conversation. So first, let's kind of go back to what James said and pick that apart real quick. Remember, James said, you know, you're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. They have something you want, yet we can't seem to get what we want. And so in our anger, in our jealousy, we have made a decision that it is they who are the problem. Then he tells us something very interesting. He goes, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Huh. Effectively, what James is saying here is that you're going to the wrong person. See, your jealousy is driving you to go to the one who has what you want rather than going to the one who can give you what you want. In other words, you need to bring your wants to God rather than trying to squeeze them and wring them out of the people around you. See, what James is doing here, essentially, is he's giving us an invitation to bring our deepest desires and unmet needs to God. There is nothing too big or too small to bring to God. 
And I know often we, we feel like there are these things in our lives that, that are really small. We're like, oh, this, is, this is silly that I want this. This is just, this is inconsequential. I mean, I shouldn't even want this kind of a thing. I, can't, I cannot go to God. Bring him. Bring him to God. Because according to scripture, if it's important to you, it's important to God because you are important to God. So bring it to him. Scripture says that we are to cast all of our anxieties onto him. So if it's in your heart, if it's on your heart, ask him for it. Yeah, but John, I did this. I mean, I prayed about this. I mean, I went to God, I said, God, I want this thing. I want this in my life. And it, it hasn't come. He hasn't given it to me. So, I mean, is James wrong? Am I not doing this right? What is the deal? This is the part you're not going to like. James looks at us and goes, all right, well, here's the thing. Even when you do ask, you don't get it because your whole aim is wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure, which means that there are going to be times when God doesn't give you what you want because your motivation for wanting what you want isn't pure. That this thing perhaps that you're asking for, that you're seeking, that you want, and that you desire isn't actually good for you. And God loves you too much to say yes to everything. And so sometimes it's no. In fact, if God were to give you everything that you wanted, it could potentially ruin you. On the other hand, on the other hand, sometimes God says no, even when your desires are pure. That there are that there are there are things that we desire, there are things that we want that are wonderful things, that are lovely things, that are things that, that it is absolutely fine to want these things into your life. But, and again, we're not gonna like this. If it's not in God's will for your life, and I wish I had an asterisk that said, yet, it's not going to happen for your life yet. Scripture says that God is sovereign. It's a big, fancy theological term for he's in charge. He can do whatever he wants. He calls the shots in this world and in our lives, whether we like it or not, and, and, and we can try to fight against it. We can sort of shake our fists at it, but the sooner we learn to submit our will to his will, we'll realize that he actually knows what's best for us. In the book of Daniel, and our next series, we're going to kind of dive into the book of Daniel. But in the book of Daniel, there's this pagan king who comes to an incredible realization about our God. Look at what he said. He said, he, speaking of God, does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? You gave them what? You only gave me what? I mean, this pagan king has come to the realization that God has the right to distribute might and power and wealth and gifts and talents to whomever he pleases. And as humans, it's not up to us to pull out the it's not fair card. And it's not a matter of lack of love on God's part. And it's not even a matter of lack of favor. It's because God gives us what he thinks we need in the moment as he sees fit. Because he knows 
what's best for us. King David would echo these sentiments. He says, wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Everything comes from you. Ultimately, in this world, everything that we have, from our health to our wealth, comes to us on loan, for that matter, from God. According to Scripture, I mean, you look at Scripture, God does not distribute things evenly in this world. In the New Testament, Paul talks about how God gives spiritual gifts to people. To some, he gives the gift of teaching. To others, the gift of encouragement. To others, still the gift of mercy. To others, still the gift of encouragement, and on and on and so forth and so on. And after Paul is done listing out all the various gifts and talents that God bestows upon his followers, he wraps it up by saying that he alone, God, decides which gift each person should have. He gave everyone gifts, but he didn't give everybody the same thing. And that's important to remember because when we begin to look at someone else or some other group and we start to think, I don't like you because you have something that I don't have, you got to stop yourself right in your tracks because you're going to want to hate that person. You're going to want to separate yourself from that person, but you've got to remind yourself that our problem is not that person. Our problem's with God. I'm mad at God. And I think God owes me. I know you've probably never even thought of that before. But if we can begin to embrace that truth, God can use that to break you free of your jealousy. I mean, if we can get the courage to get down onto our knees and say, God, I've never told you this before, but I think you ripped me off. This could be potentially the most healthy conversation you and God have ever had. And I know we we see this and go, am I actually saying that? Can God handle that? Yes, he can handle that. Not only can God handle this, he's probably been waiting around for you to have this conversation because he sees you blaming people who can't solve your problem and he would love nothing more than to solve your problem. See, here's the thing. If you allow jealousy to linger in your heart, to take root in your heart, get its tentacles all inside of you, it will infect and impact everything you do. To such a degree, it will actually prevent you from being a good Christian, from actually following the commands of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said that we are to love God and love others. That love is at the core of Jesus' message. It is at the foundation of what we as Christians are supposed to be doing. But look at what Paul says about love. Probably heard this at a wedding. Paul says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous. Hard stop. You can't carry around a heart of jealousy and love others at the same time. Which means any command of Jesus telling us to love cannot be fully obeyed until we allow God to work on this jealousy inside of our hearts. Let me read the rest of you what Paul wrote. 
Paul says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Wow. Love does not delight in evil. It does not get joy in others' failures. Oh, that's a shame. Sorry to hear about your portion. That's the opposite of love. And until we can begin to root that out of our heart, I'm sorry, folks, you just can't love. Not fully. Not fully. Jealousy is so good. It is so good at hiding what it really is, masquerading behind other things so that we don't see it. Jealousy is responsible for tearing apart so many of our relationships, and I would argue tearing apart so much of what's going on in this world. But the solution to the jealousy issue is not about balancing the scales. And it's not even about tipping it in our favor. Because the fact is, we're upset with God. And until we recognize it, we'll never break free from it. So, what's practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time you're at DHC, every single week, we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and just know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So the first practical for this week is very simple, but it's foundational if we're going to beat this jealousy thing. The truth is every single one of us, we need to embrace the truth that we think God owes us. Even even just saying those words now, it just feels like, but that's the truth. Because God's the one's in charge. She bothers me. Eh? Because I think God owes me. Well, he intimidates me. Eh, because I think God owes me. I don't really like them. Eh, it's because I think God owes me. It's a very uncomfortable idea. But it's the starting point. If we want to begin seeing our broken relationships come back together, and if we want to see our sick heart healed, You think God owes you. That's okay, right? Because God is allowing us to have this conversation today so we all can work through it. Number two, and this is not for everybody. This might be for some of us, but for some of you out there, you got to confess your jealousy to someone because there's somebody out there that, that you've just been treating weird and they don't know why. I mean, maybe for you, it's like you just treat people in such a way where you can't seem to say anything nice. You, you, there's always a cutting remark. There's always some sarcasm. You, you can't seem to just give them a compliment. Now, you know you do this. And you know deep down it's, it's because you're jealous. And I would just challenge you to confess that to them. Hey, you know what? I just got to be honest with you. I've been treating you weird. I've been avoiding you. I've been, I'm struggling with this. And you'd be surprised how healthy that conversation could become because they're wondering what's wrong with you. Or worse, they're wondering what's wrong with them. 
Now, the next thing that we got to do comes right from Paul. Remember, Paul said this, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. The one habit, and this is a lifetime kind of thing, folks, the one habit that will break us free and I think keep us clear of jealousy is to celebrate those you envy, to rejoice with the truth, to celebrate out loud. Hey, you know what? You look great in that dress. Those biceps, they are impressive. Your car, it's awesome. What a beautiful house. Congratulations on that promotion. Hey, that idea that you had at work, I want to be honest with you, that was a great idea. Brilliant. I wish I had it, but great idea. You got to find those people that trigger your, your, um, your jealousy, and you got to celebrate them and celebrate them and celebrate them. To which you might be thinking, yeah, but John, doesn't that mean I'm being fake? Not at all. Isn't their house beautiful? Yeah. Doesn't their dress look nice? Yeah, I guess. And wasn't that a good idea? Yeah, it was a good idea. Well, then all those things are true. And according to Paul, we're just supposed to rejoice with what is true. You've just hesitated saying what's true because your heart's all messed up. Now you just got to reprogram your heart. You got to get in there and you got to make a decision. You know what? I'm done. I'm going to celebrate other people. I'm done being angry. I'm done being upset with God because he's doing something in someone else's life. And he may not be doing that in my life ever, or maybe not just yet. I am starting new. I am no longer going to allow jealousy to be divisive in my life. I'm going to celebrate the truth all around me. You start doing that, you will shock people. Celebrate people. Hey, you're looking good. Nice job. Lastly, I would challenge you to open up to God. Would you be willing to get along with God, to get down on your knees and just say, God, I confess. I blamed him. I blamed her. I blamed them, but ultimately my problem is not with them, God. My problem Ooh, is with you. And I want to talk about this until we work through this. And what you'll find after much prayer and after much confession is that you will have a newfound appreciation for the blessings in your life. All of a sudden, your eyes will be opened. All of a sudden, your heart will be opened to what you really do have. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity that we could come here today and talk about an issue that every single one of us, at some level and at some point, struggles with. We look around at what other folks have, what they've been given, perhaps what they've earned, and we want it. And it's divisive, Lord. And it sucks the joy out of our life. And God, you didn't call us to live this way. 
I pray, Lord, that if there are folks here today that are struggling with this, Lord, that you would give us the strength and the courage to get down on our knees and have a conversation with you about it. And I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, God, you would open our eyes to the blessings that we actually do have, Lord, because we are so blessed in this world. And I pray that with that knowledge of how good you've actually been to us, Lord, you would help us to leave this room and to begin to rejoice in what is true that we could celebrate others, that we could celebrate what you are doing in the lives of other people. And in doing so, God, we could break free from this nasty thing called jealousy. We ask all this in your name. Amen.